0: Ross Tucker Football Podcast. It's a Finnish Strong Friday, which means it is presented by those of you that go above and beyond. It's presented by winners. I want winners. I want people that want to win. Well, then, Mike Singletary, you want people like Cordy McAvoy, who on Facebook liked the Warren Sharp Audiogram from Monday. You never know what we're looking at. You never know if it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. You never know if it's me at Ross Tucker NFL or Bry at RTF Podcast. So you might as well just like or love or retweet all of them. It means a great deal for those of you that do. Cordy, hit me up with an email ross at rostucker.com and let me know. Let me know what you would like me to discuss, what question you have. Um, Also, more importantly, let me know if you want a picture, signed card, uh, and next time I do a little autograph fulfillment with my daughters, they love it, they will uh, pick something out for you. Uh, They think that's normal, by the way, which is interesting. Anyway, sponsor confirmation email winner is Wes Myers. So, I don't know how I feel about this. Wes emailed me that he got manscaped for his Chewbacca, which I immediately was shocked and appalled and horrified. Then he explained that Chewbacca is actually his dog. So he got manscaped for his dog, which I don't, I mean, I guess that made me feel better. I don't know how much better, but it made me feel. A little better so at any rate make sure you use the code money when you go to manscaped whether you're getting it for your Chewbacca or not manscaped code money that is the key you know what the key is on Fridays though number one like every other day I give a shout out to one of our awesome patrons today it's Darren Moore patreon.com slash RT media Darren I hope you're on the next virtual happy hour, which we will have soon. Thank you for signing up to be one of the Tuckheads. Friday also means that the feedback we've gotten, by the way, on these Greg Cosell, Cosell's concepts, I mean, we've only done one, but people love it. Like people really, really love it. It's very exciting. So today we're going to get into, there's a couple other things I want to ask Greg about first, but then we're going to have to get into uh, how to defend RPOs since we talked about RPOs from an offensive perspective last week. Very exciting. It's Big Show time. The Big Show. All right, Greg. It is unbelievable the response we got from last week's Cosell's Concepts, and we actually had a coach, a high school coach near Easton, Pennsylvania, who said, hey, that RPO breakdown was amazing. Can you go over how to defend RPOs like what the options are for the defense so we'll get to that momentarily Greg but there is still news going on in the NFL that I wanted to get your opinion on as the video expert I should mention by the way Greg's been kicking some serious butt at fantasypoints.com so if you want to read all of Greg's draft breakdowns go to fantasypoints.com it's free to sign up just make sure you use the code feast all capital letters f-e-a-s-t feast so that when you eventually subscribe when it switches over to a pay site you get a discount because i'm buddies with joe dolan and john hansen etc so greg's been killing it fantasypoints.com code feast so i want to start with this greg The big news yesterday in the NFL, DeAndre Baker, Quentin Dunbar, both arrested, blah, blah, blah. I'll get into that later and and all that. My question is, now that there is some level of uncertainty as to their playing status, what kind of players are Baker and Dunbar? What did you see from them last year so that fans of the Giants and Seahawks and really anybody can have idea of what, what their teams might be missing if those guys aren't able to play as a result.
2: Well, Baker came out of Georgia as a first-round draft choice, Ross, and uh, his college tape was very, very good. He looked like one of those solid NFL corners who could develop into a really good player. Somewhat similar, I think, with his college tape to someone like Tredavious White, who's now turned into a really high-level NFL corner. But Baker really struggled as a rookie; had a very, very difficult time. So this off season, leading into his second year, was going to be a big off season. And obviously, there is no off season. And now we have no idea where that stands with what we're reading. Anyway, um, Dunbar was signed by Seattle, I, or I guess traded for, or whatever. He's with Seattle now. He's a really solid corner. A lot of people are not that familiar with him uh, because. Uh, He played in Washington, and Washington's not been very good the last number of years, and there's been a lot of turnover in Washington's secondary. There's obviously been a lot of talk about Josh Norman because he was there. But Dunbar's a really solid NFL corner who can play both man and zone effectively, and I think Seattle made that move because they anticipated uh, Dunbar playing on the outside opposite Shaquille Griffin uh, in place of Trey Flowers. So, again, now that's totally up in the air.
0: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting what happens there. I, I'm, i like, shocked uh, by the details, but we'll see. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Greg, the Arizona Cardinals have come out and said that Isaiah Simmons is only going to play one position. Now, that doesn't mean that they might not move him around, but he's only going to play one position because they want him to get used to and comfortable there it's interesting because everybody said during the pre-draft process this guy plays this and that and this and that and you know the value is unbelievable if you use them that way rather than just putting them at one spot what are you what's your reaction when you heard that news
2: well, that could also be a function of the times in which we live. They don't have a chance to get him on the field. They don't have a chance to work with him in the way that they would ideally like. When you draft Isaiah Simmons, you're not drafting him to play one position. They know that. Anybody who studies tape knows that. So I think that's really a function of where we stand right now, because you have to learn how to play one position first. That would have normally happened through OTAs. Obviously, he's a smart football player because he played multiple positions at Clemson. So. Uh, I think that's just the reality of life right now through COVID nineteen.
0: Speaking of learning and positions, we don't often do this, Greg, but John Tierlink, uh, defensive line coach, passed away this week. I mentioned on Wednesday's show. Yeah, I remember well. I think he's one well. of the best. Yeah, I, I mentioned on Wednesday's show. I think he's one of the best D line coaches ever, and I wanted to give you a chance when you watch. Tape, can you see, and you watch a position group for a certain team, can you see a position group where you think, wow, that position coach really knows what he's doing. Those guys guys are really good. You can tell that they're coached up. Because I I try to tell everybody, position coaches are important, Greg. I had nine offensive line coaches. It makes a big difference. There was a wide disparity between the best ones and the worst ones.
2: Yeah. Um, sometimes I can. And the reason sometimes I can and sometimes I can't is because that's not always my focus when I watch tape. As you know, Ross, I try to watch a lot of things and I can't watch everything. So I'm just being honest with the audience listening that I can't study every single thing. But I think Turling, John Turling was known for his pass rush, I think that he was one of those guys where his D lines they, they played the run on the way to the quarterback. He was aggressive. Um, I think when you watch D linemen, you very often I watch for this anyway. You watch how they use their hands, and not that I'm the expert on on every type of hand movement. You would know this better than I, being an O lineman having to prepare for that. But I think hand usage, those are the subtleties, the details, the nuances. There's a lot of guys who are athletic in the NFL. You know that. But it's not always about sheer athleticism when you get to that level. Um, It's about technique. It's about hand usage for defensive linemen. Sometimes you can have great, great pass rushers who are not the highest level athletes, but they know how to play with leverage. They know how to use their hands. They know how to use their bodies uh, position-wise, in part of the pass rush because a pass rush is in a phase. There's different parts to a pass rush. So if I study that closely, and that's what I do when I watch college players more so than NFL players, so you can see that for sure.
0: So it's funny because it transitions again perfectly to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about which is Richard Seymour going in the Patriots Hall of Fame. The reason why I wanted Uh, to bring this up,
2: Greg. I loved Richard Seymour. He was great. did right. you play against and, him, or is he before you?
0: Oh, no, no. I played against him a bunch. I played yeah. with him. He is, Greg, in my seven years, the best defensive lineman that I ever played against. And this is an important discussion because you just mentioned tier link, get up the field, play the run on the way to the quarterback. You know, that's how Warren Sapp was in the B-gap for the Bucks. Richard Seymour's career in New England was the exact opposite. His job was to put his two hands in the chest of the offensive lineman, extend them, and then make a play along the line of scrimmage. And I just bring that up because you know this, but I think some people think I'm biased sometimes. Can you just talk about how much of a difference scheme makes? Because I think if Seymour had been the three-technique D-tackle for the Bucks instead of Warren Sapp... I think his numbers would have been outrageous, but that was not what he was asked to do.
2: And that's why he doesn't have high sack totals. Um, My guess is, and and I'm just noticing and remembering from tape study, you played against him. My guess is there were not many guys, if any, that had stronger hands than Richard Seymour. Is that a fair statement based on you playing against him? Correct. Yeah, I mean, that guy... He just had incredibly powerful hands. He knew how to use them. He knew how to extend his arms without losing his balance or body control. And, and therefore, he maintained you know, his feet. He, he, he was not on the ground very much. And that's one thing you look for a lot with defensive linemen. If they're on the ground a lot, that's not a good thing. Uh, you don't make a lot of plays on the ground. But he was incredibly strong. He could control Offensive lineman, and I don't think people realize that when you look at number of tackles or number of sacks, that's what people like to look at to decide whether a defensive lineman is a good player. But certainly, in a Bill Belichick defense, that's not what it's about. He's not a statistic guy when it comes to the, the defensive lineman. And I just remember watching Richard Seymour and thinking that this guy was as good a player as I'd seen, and he could play DN, D tackle. And people forget, he was about 310, 315 pounds now. We're not talking about a 275-pound guy. Uh, You you played against him, but I always thought watching his tape that he was about as good as I had seen.
0: Yeah, he was awesome. He was awesome. So one of the things we're doing, Greg, is we're getting people to rate and review the show because that helps (laughs) quite a bit. And um, we actually had a guy who did that And his question was for, uh, he said, a question for you and Greg Cosell. So, I figured I would ask it, Greg. He's from Honolulu, but has lived in Tokyo for 20-plus years. Somehow, a diehard Cowboys fan. I would really appreciate hearing the view of you and Greg on Dak's accuracy. I like him overall, but think his accuracy is subpar. He cannot seem to hit a receiver on a quick slant or crossing pattern on the hands and receivers in these routes have to reach back and down to make the catch. Yak are heavily impacted. What do you think? That's Ryan in Tokyo, Greg, that I wanted to give you a chance to chime in on.
2: I would say that Dak's accuracy is erratic and inconsistent. I don't think it's, it's scattershot in the way we think of, of some quarterbacks who are just inaccurate. Um, And I agree 100%, and I've said this for years and years, I've always believed that run after catch is a function of the quarterback more than the receiver. You know, Because West Coast offenses, if you go back to the methodology, going back to Bill Walsh, and a lot of those principles carry on now and are part of NFL offenses, that was all built on run after catch with the quarterback having precise ball placement. That was something Bill Walsh focused on to no end. And I think that Prescott's not inaccurate, but I think that when you're asked to hit receivers on the move, that's where your ability to be really precise with your ball placement comes into play. And there are times that Prescott will struggle with that. Like I said, he's, I think Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. Um, I, you know, I know there's been a big debate, and he's one of those guys that everybody debates, and there's a wide range of opinions. I think Dak Prescott is a very, very solid NFL quarterback. He can make throws. He can move around. But I wouldn't put him in the upper echelon of consistent, precise ball placement.
0: Let's get into the RPO game a little bit, Greg. What? Let's start with this. Defending the RPO, what are the options for the defense after we talked about last week what the quarterback is looking at?
2: Well, I think there's a number of variables here. First, The first thing you have to look at from a defensive standpoint is formation because formation can tell you a lot about whether an RPO might be coming because what normally happens, and again, nothing is 100% in the NFL, but it's all tendency and probability, and that's what teams work off of, as you well know from your playing career. It's tendency and probability. So very often, let's say that you have – two receivers to the left side of the formation and the back is also split to that side of the formation is offset in in a shotgun look, the back is offset to the same side as the two receivers. That would be an alert that there might be an RPO coming because what would happen is, is they'd run a zone play away from the offset back. And then you'd throw some kind of three-step drop route, normally a slant to the two receiver side. So you'd get flow away from uh, the two-receiver side, and then you'd throw a quick game ball to the two-receiver side. So formation is the first thing you want to look at, and that's the way teams go about doing this. They study formation. The other thing that's really cropped up a lot in the league is more man-to-man coverage because RPOs are, and again, we talked about this last week offensively, that they're expanding – offensively, but RPOs at their core premise are built on quick game throws, three-step drop timing. So what are you trying to do defensively? You're not going to get to the quarterback. Okay. You don't get to the quarterback on three-step drops. The ball comes out too fast. So what do you have to do then? You've got to disrupt the receiver. So, Teams are looking now to play more man-to-man coverage because you want to be able to disrupt the timing of the receiver off the line of scrimmage. Because if RPOs are not reads in a strict sense, you don't go from one to two to three. Quick game three-step drop timing throws, Ross, as you know, do not have reading progressions you're throwing it to, the, to that guy. So if you can take away that guy based on playing press man disrupting the routes, you can disrupt the RPO game. Then there's another yeah, element to this. Go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry.
0: No, you go. You go. Say,
2: remember, anytime there's an option, okay, what's an RPO? Run, pass, option. The quarterback has an option based on reading a particular player as we spoke about last week. So now, As a defense, what can you do? You can take away the option. That's what teams started to do with zone reads. If they didn't want the quarterback to run, what would they do? They'd keep that unblocked defender outside and force the quarterback to hand the ball off. Okay, if you didn't want Russell Wilson to run, you'd make him hand it off. So anytime there's an option as a defense, and this requires discipline, of course, you can make The quarterback do one thing or the other. So if you want him to hand the ball off, you can keep that defender who he's going to read, and you'll know this from film study, you can keep that defender that he's reading playing with depth. And therefore, you'll force him to hand the ball off. If that defender attacks the line of scrimmage, what will the quarterback do? He'll throw the ball. So you can dictate what the option is by how you play defense. Now this all comes from film study. That that's what this is all about. You know, none of this stuff's done on a whim. But these are some of the ways formation, man coverage, discipline, forcing the the offense, the quarterback to to do one thing, and you know what that one thing is. And then of course you've got to defend that. If if you make him hand it off, you've got to defend the run. Uh, but you can you can do all these kinds of things to defend the the RPO game.
0: Greg, I think that is very well said, all three of those. And that is absolutely what I've seen these guys doing more and more is they're just taking away the option right away and then everybody else knows what's coming. Right. You know, it's like if you just have that that overhang defender, or the outside backer just sit. Well, then everybody knows what's coming, and even the safety can fa- can fast fill that backside B-gap if you want him to for Correct. where that overhang defender's supposed to be. Or um, I've seen some, Greg, where they automatically, if they're going to have the linebacker sit on the slant or sit on the throw, they'll have the D-end automatically cross face and pinch to try to take the backside B-gap. So if they do hand it off, which they should, he has to cut it all the way back. And by the time he cuts it all the way back, the safety and or the overhang guy have enough time usually to be there. Whereas he can't he can't put his foot in the ground and go right up field, which at that point might be the backside B-gap because the D-ends there.
2: Yeah, and and that's also why press man is so critical I remember a play in studying Tua uh, Tagovailoa this year uh he threw a touchdown to Henry Ruggs and it, I can see it in my mind's eye it was about 40 plus yards I forget who was against and it was I'm not 100 percent sure it was an RPO but it, because it had uh, a gap scheme run concept it might have been just a play action play but the point I'm making is they had uh I think it was just play action, but they had two receivers to the right side of the formation, and they both ran slants, double glance as we call it and the overhang defender kind of sat there and took away the inside slant, which is where Tua had wanted to go with the ball, but because they weren't playing press man, the outside slant was just an easy throw, and that was Henry Ruggs, and he just hit Ruggs right in stride, and Ruggs ran 40 yards for a touchdown with his speed, but that's why press man, too, was so critical. You've got to disrupt receivers, and, and you're seeing more press man in the league now, and that's one reason.
0: Yeah, you know, it's almost Greg like the zone read where for a while there people weren't able to really defend it all that well and now you might still get him if the guy isn't expecting it but if they're expecting it Greg they can shut down the zone read
2: yeah you can I, take away the option i mean that's whenever there's an option if you're disciplined on defense and you and it's all based on film study of course because there are always tells on on both sides of the ball um you can take away the option. You know, that's that's good defense. You force them to do one thing, and then, of course, you have to defend that, but you can force them to do one thing, and you know what that will be.
0: Right, and if the D-end closes to take the quarterback, and the quarter, they know the quarterback's pulling the ball, well, right. then they have the outside backer, they have the backer to that side scrape, that's and that's, what happens that that then lot, becomes yes. an impossible block for the tackle because – yeah. He doesn't know if it's a handoff or a get, or a pull. So he's got to block the backer like it's inside zone. So he, yeah, you know, he if, if the backer scrapes, the he can't yeah, make you that get, block.
2: You're 100% right. Against zone read, you get crash and scrape a lot. That's one way teams defend it. Because when the D end or the unblocked defender crashes, the quarterback keeps. But then you've got a better athlete, a linebacker, scraping, and there's no way he's going to be blocked.
0: You know, last question here, Greg. The zone read, you know, Lamar Jackson's a special player, and the Ravens are doing a lot more than just zone read now with their run game. The RPOs, very popular now. Did you see last year, or do you think we might see this year, defenses starting to do a better job against it?
2: You mean Lamar Jackson and that defense?
0: No, I I mean RPOs in general.
2: Oh, yes. I think it's always cyclical you know, offenses. And that's why we talked last week about RPOs also expanding offensively. And you can do anything with an RPO as long as you can protect. So I think you'll start to see more than just quick slants. You know, I think you'll see teams feel that, hey, if we can protect for just half a beat longer, we can have a little more diverse route tree and route concepts off RPO looks. Uh, Yes, it's always cyclical. Uh, Everybody reacts to everything else. And, you know, that's what we were just talking about with the zone read. You started to see defenses come up with specific approaches, and the zone read is not used as much as everybody thought it might be when it sort of first came into play in the NFL. I think you'll see that with RPOs. Not that they'll go away, uh, but I think you'll see defenses have a better handle on how to defend them.
0: Check him out at fantasypoints.com. Just make sure you use the code FEAST, all caps, when you do it. Greg, excellent stuff as always. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Ross. Really appreciate it. Good question, by the way, on the DAC. I mean, first of all, Greg was amazing. That was awesome. But good question there by Ryan on the DAC. I wasn't expecting Greg to say that DAC is erratic and inconsistent with his accuracy. Good question, Ryan. That's a, that's a heck of a response from Greg. I'm going to put that on social media today. You better believe that, at Ross Tucker NFL. Uh, let's get to, oh, by the way, you can all rate and review. It makes It makes a big difference for us. It's very helpful. We appreciate those of you that do. It's crazy easy to do. Just snap a screenshot on your phone after you do it. Forward it to me with a question, any question, and we'll read and respond to it on the show. Let's get to the takes. All right, first up, Joe Buck says, Fox will
1: pump in fake crowd noise this season.
0: He also said they're looking into having a situation where you can actually see. Uh, fake crowds like like it like when they go to a wide shot it'll look like the crowd is fake i mean it'll look like there's the, the crowd is there i i you know Bri, i don't have a strong opinion on this on the one hand i totally understand you know sort of the um the ambiance or ambient noise or the desire to have to have the telecast for the people at home seem as normal as possible on the other hand i think people are sort of genuinely curious as to what it will be like if there's no fans so i almost wonder if they could do a little bit of both i mean you're a producer you do games for sports usa do you have an opinion on the fake crowd noise?
1: Yeah, I do not like fake crowd noise at all, and I think we're insulting the audience. We're insulting the fans to think that there's something there that's not. And these people are smarter than that. They know there's nobody in the stands, and they're 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 all they want is three hours of of uh, distraction. They want three hours of of entertainment. If there's crowd noise, there, great. But if there's not, then th- don't don't pipe
0: it in. Well, and here's my thought, Bry. If there's no crowd noise, you're going to be able to hear a lot of what the players are saying on the field, which will be awesome. You know, if they still have the mics, like I don't know what all's going to happen, but you might be able to hear a lot of the checks and a lot of the audibles. I mean, it might end up being awesome because you can really hear a lot of what's going on on the field.
1: Agreed, agreed. And in you know, when you were talking about uh, the wide shots and actually digitally inserting <laughs> fake people in there. Don't do a wide shot. Do it like a Tuesday night Mac game, where where obviously you don't see, all you show is the field. You you never take a wide shot.
0: Totally agree. All
1: right, moving on. Ducks takes. Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker and Seahawks DB Quentin Dunbar charged with four counts of armed robbery and aggravated assault.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to say. You know, the one guy was a first round pick last year. The other guy just got traded. Supposedly, I read the police report a few days earlier. They had lost seventy one thousand dollars at a party, so then they had another party, and I guess they wanted to try to get their seventy one thousand dollars back. i mean, I just like i i'll I'll never quite understand it. We'll see what the details are, but when you read the police report, it certainly looks and sounds real bad.
1: Duck what did you think of the L.A. Rams new uniforms?
0: Yeah, we talked about this on, on the private Slack channel for the patrons. Just kind of, eh. You know, I don't, I don't hate them, Bri. I just, I don't love them either. I, I think if they had gone with the 1970s uh, or maybe 60s, like the white and blue, Look, that was awesome. I think if they had gone even with the 70s, like Jack Youngblood, that was awesome. They tried to be different, tried to be new age. I think that they're lucky that, you know, they're the Rams and they got a good color scheme. And so it looks okay. But disappointing. Disappointing. I mean, look, it's better than that two tone, ridiculous thing they've been wearing the last couple of years. But I think it's a missed opportunity.
1: And finally, Seahawks signed quarterback
0: Geno Smith. He's going to back up Russell Wilson yet again. Feels like this happens every year. After a while, after the draft. I mean, the Seahawks don't care that much about a backup quarterback, that's for sure, because they're never in a hurry to get one. But they get Geno Smith, who's competent, I would say, if Russell Wilson gets hurt, which he obviously has never done which is amazing I'll tell you what else is amazing you can right now go to bet online and bet on any one of the week one games I think they might actually have the other weeks too I didn't even check but when Steve Fezik and I were on the even money podcast on Wednesday and we made all of our week one bets I didn't even really check to see what the call you know what what the odds were, the lines were for the other weeks. You know, you just kind of get in that week one mindset. But yeah, man, you can bet on any of the week one games right now at Online, your online wagering solution. Visit BetOnline.ag. Don't forget the promo code PODCAST1 for your sign-up bonus. BetOnline, they are your online sportsbook experts. You know what, Bri? We already got to an email, so I don't think we need to get to another one. Already a pretty beastly show. Pretty awesome. Good stuff with Greg Cosell. We'll have part two of the Warren Sharp conversation on Monday. So part one was kind of broader based. You know, the schedule in general. In general, part two, Warren's going to tell you the people that really got a raw deal. The people that really have easier schedules. We're going to dive into it. So you're going to want to listen To the breakdown, because he might talk about your team's schedule on Monday's Ross Tucker football podcast. And of course, at some point over the weekend, if you didn't already, you should absolutely hear Joe Dolan's breakdown of all of the rookie running backs from a fantasy perspective. I mean, he was on top of it with Edwards Hilaire and Swift and Jonathan Taylor. encourage you to listen to that for sure. Shout outs to the white label group, Pizza Boy Brewing. NFLCliches.com and DynastyFreaks.com. Have a terrific weekend, everybody. We'll be back bright and early on Monday. I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feasts, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, Rostucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.